The Growing Destinations podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Learn more about Minnesota's third largest city, which is home to Mayo Clinic and features wonderful recreational and entertainment opportunities by visiting experiencerochestermn.com. I think the days of just having airline service in your community are, are probably gone. I think that airlines are going to begin to shift their resources, resources meaning aircraft and pilots, into markets that drive revenue for that airline. And so I think for us, we're going to have service. I don't see that ever going away. Welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast, where we take a deep dive into destination development and focus on a wide range of topics, from tourism and entertainment to economic development and entrepreneurism, and much more. I'm your host, Bill Von Bank. John Reed has spent 30 years working in the aviation industry. Since 2015, he has served as executive director of the Rochester, Minnesota International Airport. He's inspired by Mayo Clinic's unique relationship with the airport, which has a long history in Rochester, thanks to the Mayo Brothers. The Rochester International Airport serves a region in southeast Minnesota, and while the industry has faced some challenges, John's optimistic about Rochester's future as a high-value market. We're on location at the Rochester International Airport in Rochester, Minnesota, and today I'm joined by John Reed, Executive Director of the airport. John, welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. It's uh, kind of exciting to be on my first podcast. (laughs) Well, let's learn a little bit more about you. Can you share with us your career journey? I think I've always loved aviation and uh, decided to take a career in the field, and it's not disappointed professionally been working in the industry for about 30 years. My very first job was as an airport inspector for the great state of Missouri, moved to Nevada. It was an airport planner. Both of those states let me fly their planes, so that was a bonus for me. (laughs) Moved to South Texas, Brownsville, South Padre Island International Airport. I was the assistant director there. Unique place, really had a deep focus on cargo operations and its intersection in the, in the world as it relates to uh, NAFTA manufacturing in Mexico and uh, movement of product and goods back up into the upper Midwest. From there, I moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was the assistant director there for 13 years. Different kind of focus, real focus on passenger service. Obviously, some great connections to a you know a great sporting community. And moved to Rochester, Minnesota in 2015 to become the executive director here at Rochester International Airport. And we've been off and running ever since. What intrigued you about Rochester to bring you here? I think it was, uh, honestly, I think it was Mayo Clinic in the unique way of this airport and the unique way it's run and it's managed. Uh, you know, I'm working for you know, a well-known healthcare company, but also getting to do what I love, which is aviation and my intersection with that and the movement of cargo and and people that are coming here seeking care and um, seeking to do business in our community. I think it's just a unique place. You mentioned Mayo Clinic. Explain that unique relationship with this airport. It really goes back to about 1928. And one of the things I find just deeply fascinating about most airports is just the history behind that. And the Mayo brothers decided that they needed aviation and that it was the way of the future. And a real good quote here from William Mayo, airplanes are the best long distance mode of transit for the ill. 
gentlemen, we must have an airplane with the ability to move patients. So they built the first airport. Back in 1928? Back in 1928. Wow. Pretty insightful on their part. You know, you got to think 1903, the Wright brothers first flew. So 25 years later, Mayo Clinic, through the brothers, are building the first airport. It was over near Mayo High School. Lots of neat intersections in that history. And then in that same time frame, they formed the Rochester Airport Company, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Mayo Clinic, uh, to run and operate the airport. Fast forward into the 40s and uh, federal grants became available and land transfers happened, all those kinds of things behind the scenes. And the city built the uh, airport in its current location. And part of that agreement, I believe, was still to have the airport company run the airport. And so we really do that essentially as a not-for-profit. Any revenue that we make above our operating needs go back to the city. Those are held into a, an, in a separate account. And we use that for capital development. So it's a self-funding entity that we use to um, keep the airport building and growing and replacing runways, anything else that we need to do. The airport serves a region, not just Rochester, correct? That's correct. We really think ourselves as not only just Rochester proper, but it's also Southeast Minnesota, it's Western Wisconsin, it's Northeast Iowa. And we, uh, we, we really think we're kind of that airport to the region. Don't meet everybody's needs, but uh, we do serve the region and um, we work with our airline partners to, to help meet those demands. What airlines currently serve the airport and the region? Long stays in the community here. Delta, you know, through its various past lives, you know, as Northwest or whatever, has served here for a very long time. We also have American. They, too, have been in their community for a very long time. Last year, in the middle of the pandemic, Sun Country decided to serve our region as well. They do that seasonally to vacation markets. In addition to commercial airlines, you also have a lot of activity here from FedEx, for example. Explain why. Well, yeah. I mean, FedEx has uh, been a long partner here as well. We have three aircraft daily, two 757s, and then a, what's known as an ATR-72 that comes in from Indianapolis. Those are really driven around Mayo's need to move product and goods. And specifically, we get anywhere from about thirty-five to 40,000 samples daily that are making their way from around the world right here to Mayo uh, Medical Laboratories. And so... Good quality operations are necessary. A lot of people have um, deeper thoughts on their mind and, than is a plane moving around the world with right. their product in it. They're, they're sending that here for answers. And so we take that side of the business exceptionally well. And Mayo obviously caters to patients from all over the world, and, and they're known for treatment of some dignitaries from all over the world. And so this airport is important for that aspect as well. Absolutely. It's a gateway. And that's the way I think of um, aviation and airports. They're, you know, they're a gateway from somewhere to somewhere. It's kind of a time transport machine. And we do. I'd also characterize this as a high value general aviation facility. And we do get people, again, that come from around the world, not only here in the United States, but I think the rough number is 148 or 150 different countries. People do make their way here. Dignitaries, world leaders, Kings, Queens, they do make their way here to Rochester, and uh, we have the facilities to support that. How has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the airline industry? 
Well, it's been coming for a while, and I think COVID really accentuated it. We've really been thrust into kind of a, a, a pilot shortage, and I don't think that's new to a lot of industries. There's a lot of labor shortages around the world right now, but it's been critically acute for pilots and a lot of retirements, uh, a lot of movement combined with some federal mandates has really thrust us into a bit of a labor shortage. And so pre-pandemic, you know, Rochester had um, 13 flights a day, and we're considerably less than that right now. I think in time that begins to come back and revive, but it's going to take time to do that. And um, so what airlines have done is consolidated flights. Um, they brought us larger aircraft, but fewer of them. And um, the community's responded pretty well. We're, we're, we're filling the seats that we do have. Uh, we're a little bit capacity constrained right now. We have a lot more passengers than we have the ability to put, um, uh, put them on the planes that we have here. Do the airlines take note of that? They always take note of it. You know, it's a, it's a combination of not only available seats and available pilots, it's available aircraft, and it's the yield that they draw from that. It's a business. Besides COVID, are there other challenges you are facing, supply chain, economic, other? I think for us, it's just being very aware of our timelines. Absolutely, we face some pretty severe shortages as it relates to parts and product. We do our best to stay well in front of that and uh, make sure that we have what we need here you know, at the airport for uh, what we need to accomplish. But definitely things that we've had to adjust to economically. It's put strains on budgets and then just recognizing what we need to do and making that change. I'm going to ask you a crystal ball question. What does long-term recovery look like for the airline industry? I think long-term recovery uh, is going to look... In- different in different markets. I think the days of just having airline service in your community are are probably gone. I think that airlines are going to begin to shift their resources, resources meaning aircraft and pilots, into markets that drive revenue for that airline. And so I think for us, we're going to have service. I don't see that ever going away. I think it's going to take time to grow that back as they work through those shortages. But I think in time, the volume of service that we have here as as it relates to frequency will grow. Record high inflation and recession fears haven't kept people from flying. The major airlines have reported strong quarterly earnings. United CEO Scott Kirby recently said, hybrid work is driving travel demand and that hybrid work allows every weekend to be a holiday weekend. What are your thoughts on the impact of hybrid or remote work? Well, what we've seen here is definitely a change. If you go back pre-pandemic, we were an airport that airlines focused on as it related to business. And that's still there, don't get me wrong. But I think you're starting to see a little bit of that change. People who maybe uh, were road warriors that flew every day. I think some of that is drifted by the side. I think if they have an opportunity to do a Zoom, they're probably going to do it. Doesn't mean that they don't need to get up and go see that customer, because I think they do. It's just probably a little less of that than what you would have seen in the past. What that's been boosting by is uh, I think people have an opportunity, especially if they're working from home, to maybe go take a vacation 
I think they're calling it the term is leisure now. <laughs> so I think it's you know it's a business it's a business trip, but it's also a little bit of leisure. And if um, a business person can take uh, their family, maybe skip down to Florida, still take a few days worth of work while they're there, I think those those people are currently doing that right now. So the leisure side has really grown during the pandemic. And I think that is what has allowed airlines to show some increasing bottom line um, revenue improvements. So you said leisure and also a Deloitte report has identified it as laptop luggers. Laptop luggers. I like (laughs) that term too. (laughs) Leisure sounds a little bit smoother, but I like that. (laughs) Alliteration (laughs) works as well. I'm going to read something from FAA has an aerospace forecast from 2022, I guess for the next 20 years. And this is something that I pulled out of the report. The regional market continues to face pressure as the regionals compete for even fewer contracts with the remaining dominant carriers. This implies paltry growth in employments and yields. Can you respond to that? And that's an FAA advisory um, that you're reading from. Well, you know, and again, I, I think the airlines are going to shift the seats that they have into economically viable markets. And United in particular dropped somewhere around 49 or 50 cities. We were one of them. I think there's more of those to come. Again, I think the airlines are going to quickly begin to recognize where the value is at and where the financial value is at. And instead of just having a dot on a map, I think that dot on a map is going to have to provide economic input into their system as a whole. So what's the business or what's the leisure that's being driven from that community? And I still think we're a small market, but we're a high value market. You were recently awarded a federal grant to help attract new air service to Rochester. Explain how that works. Yeah, um, we regularly compete for all kinds of grants. In this case, we are awarded what's known in industry as a small community or service development grant. And uh, we were awarded $850,000. And in concert with our partners at the city who gave us a few more dollars, yeah, we're looking to uh, attract. In specific, the grant was written for Dallas-Fort Worth service. That's our goal. Fits the business needs of our community through data mining as well as understanding where a lot of our patient flow comes from. It's Americans' biggest hub of operation, and it would provide great connections throughout the United States um, as well as Central and South America. Any prospects so far? We continue to have discussions with, uh, with that airline. You keep yourself pretty busy. You've been named president of the Great Lakes chapter of the American Association of Airport Executives. Tell us more about the association and its priorities. Well, first, it was a great honor to be allowed to do this by my peers. And so it's you know a one-year term. I've been active in the Great Lakes chapter for about 20 years, and I've been active in the American Association of Airport Executives longer than that. It's a great organization, member-driven. It's got a lot of different aspects of it. A lot of it is career-driven. A lot of it is understanding politics in D.C. and being a part of that, as well as training and helping to bring that new generation into our field of work. And uh, so I'm glad to be a part of it, glad to be um, and excited to be a part of um, of the chapter and part of the leadership of that chapter. And Great Lakes implies Great Lakes states, correct? 
That's the name of the chapter. It's the second oldest chapter in the organization. So that goes back, you know, uh, 50, 60 plus years. So really it starts over kind of in Ohio and uh, goes all the way down to Missouri, out to the Dakotas, and then up into Canada. So uh, it's a pretty big region, but really kind of makes up the heartland of the United States. You have an administrative role, and you're also a pilot. You flew for quite a few years. Can you can you talk about your experience as a pilot? Well, I loved every minute of it. Had a grand time doing it. Would love to get back into it one day. We're, we're sans a child now, so it's it's my wife and I, so I would love to get back into doing it. I enjoyed the pleasure of flying and the fun of flying. Um, I don't think I ever really wanted to do it for a living, but the ability to hop in a plane and maybe get over to Yankton, South Dakota to see my in-laws or down to central Missouri to see my parents would be kind of fun to do again. What excites you about the future of the aviation industry? Aviation's always been cyclical and it's always been usually kind of on the cutting edge of technology. And I think um, the look forward in, in relationship to new ways of conducting business, that's what kind of excites me. I think there is a future. I may not live to see the uh, actuation of it, but uh, new kinds of aircraft, new kinds of fuel, new kinds of propulsion. I think that will help at some point in the future to alleviate um, some of the cost constraints that are currently in place and kind of the cyclical nature of that as it relates to fuel pricing. So I think as that begins to get a little more in the forefront, I think we're still on the cutting edge of that now. It'll be kind of fun to see that one day. Staying on the future topic, how about for this airport? future for us. You know, I you know, we're working through a substantial project right now. It's roughly an 80 million dollar uh, rebuild of runway 220. Looking forward to using some of the bipartisan infrastructure law dollars to rebuild um, a huge general aviation ramp that we have and then we're looking forward to maybe competing for some of those dollars. Love to invigorate the energy systems here in our terminal. Looking to uh, embrace some of those uh, technologies here in a very old building. Redo um, um, the way we use energy here. And so I'm very much looking forward to conducting a study and seeing if we can compete next year for those dollars. John Reed, fascinating conversation. Uh, love your passion for the industry. Thanks for hosting us at the airport today. Well, glad you came out. Got to see a few planes come by the window. That's the part that I love is watching a few planes zip by every day. And we appreciate you being our guest on Growing Destinations. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Growing Destinations podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Find out more about Rochester, Minnesota and its growing arts and culture scene, its international culinary flavors, and award-winning craft beer by visiting experiencerochestermn.com.